Hello, I'm Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to or watching Radio Maine. Today I have with me artist Holly Smith. Thanks for coming in today. Oh, thank you for having me. This is wonderful. <laughs> well, I'm glad you think so. And I thought it was wonderful to uh, read about you and your family and some of the work that you uh, sent over because you've you've got some you've got some fun family backstory happening, starting with the uh, Having a relative who came over on the Mayflower. <laughs> yes. Yeah, my my um, grandmother kept telling my dad, I, we're related to someone on the Mayflower. And so in my dad's retirement years, he decided to pursue that and ended up traveling all over the state. And the only way that he could find a lot of the factual information was actually to visit a lot of the grave sides and, or graveyards and find, you know, the stones and find the dates because to become a member, you have to have documentation. And, um, lo and behold, we ended up, um, we are related to an Edward Doty that came across, um, as an indentured servant, um, on the Mayflower. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> Your family also has a long uh, background in, the, in a seafaring way coming up from the coast of Maine. Yes, yes. I um, have a uh, great-grandfather, Captain George Lane, and he sailed um, from Rockport uh, to the West Indies, and uh, he carried uh, lime and lumber. And uh, one of the ships that he sa sailed on was the E.W. Hinckley. And uh, my grandmother told stories of she had um, a brother and two sisters, and they would travel to the West Indies with him and, or with the, with the family, and they were not allowed to come out of their cabins uh, because they weren't allowed to see the seafaring man, men without their shirts on. It was improper. <laughs> wow. So <laughs> that was one of the stories she told us. And then remembering when they landed in the West Indies that they met up with um, one of her girlfriends whose father was also a sea captain and um, talked about, you know, how it was fun to have that happen. You still have a pretty strong connection with the sea as well. I, I understand that you love to visit Monhegan. You live, of course, off of uh, Chickawaukee Lake, <laughs> yes, right in Rockport. Yeah, and you also like to go to Eagle Island every summer when you can. Yes, very very fortunate. Um, my sister in law has family there, uh, the Quinn family, and they have um, uh, they have a business there where you can go and rent um, cottages from them. And so we make a trek out there at about the end of June, right before the Fourth of July. And my husband, who loves to putter, and my brother, off they go to help Bob Quinn work on the generator or fix the float or whatever else might need to be done. And um, I take my paints and go down to the beach or down the road to the lighthouse and, um, and just enjoy the time out there. You, you speak of your husband, Stu, as puttering, but he also, he built your house. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's, he's quite a jack of all trades. Yeah. So, yes, he's a, he's a man of many talents. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He even built furniture in our home. So, and, and currently he um, makes the framing for my paintings and, which is great. <laughs> Yes, I, I believe a little bird told me that um, he will actually go into your studio and look at your pieces 
and start kind of thinking about how to measure them and create frames, even perhaps before you think they might be done. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's always saying, you never know that that may be a finished painting and you're going to need a frame like that. So I've got to make it. <laughs> so we have many spares. <laughs> so does he usually get it right, though? Does he usually have a sense as to when things are just about ready to be framed? He, he's pretty good at it. Yeah, he is. And he has them all numbered and he marks all the backs of every canvas. So what number is that? And he, down he goes and finds the frame and pops it in. And it comes in handy because I'll post things on the um, Portland Art um, Gallery site and and lo and behold, something has an inquiry or, you know, there's someone that has, you know, an interest and he'll say, what number is that? And down he goes, finds a frame <laughs> and it's ready to go. <laughs> that actually is a pretty big deal because getting things framed, especially right now with labor shortages, isn't always easy. Yeah, it's true. That's nice that they can leave your home and they're already ready to be put on someone's wall. Yes. Very, very fortunate. Yes. <laughs> this behind us is um, obviously a wonderful frame. So shout out to Stu. Thank you very much. <laughs> Great job with this. Tell me about the piece itself, Holly. Well, um, this is a view uh, down in the Port Clyde area. And um, it's a popular beach where a lot of the locals can go swimming and it's a public area, but um, you make a loop around from the Marshall Point Lighthouse and uh, you, you can get a beautiful view along the road either way. And um, so to go down there, I love low tide. To me, low tide, it's much more beautiful than high tide. And so what I love is all the eddies and all the different um, patterning and design that forms from the water. And so that's what I try to put into the painting. As you're describing the low tide, I can absolutely see that. And I was commenting to you before about the remarkable detail in the front of the work. Well, and thank how, you. How much time that must have taken. <laughs> well, I love I love rocks. I don't know why. I just think they're great. I love their all their different shapes and forms. And I have to be careful that I don't go overboard with too much detail. Um, and so... With this one here, I those rocks have come and gone <laughs> several times, and it finally I muted the uh, middle ground to not have it as detailed, so that your eye doesn't have you know can work a little bit and see how to travel into the painting. But the foreground, you know, if I it, you know I could get out the brush and make those even more detailed, but I I decided no, I have to stop. <laughs> yeah. So you're talking about the, the process of subtracting, which isn't something that all of us consider when we consider art. We, we think about adding to, but you've very thoughtfully gone back and said, okay, no, I, I need to, in order to make this a more cohesive scene, I need to take some things away. Yes. Yeah. I, I think all artists are our own worst critics, but for me, um, I'll start a painting and, and, it will be going along just wonderfully. And then I come back and I work on it a little bit more. And the next thing you know, when I step back, I go, whoa, you know, I've, I've just gone overboard. And I've started to photograph some of my work in the process. And it's interesting to look back and see um, maybe a first or two beginning steps. And then I go, whoa, that was pretty good. I shouldn't have kept going. Um, so I have that thought is sometimes I'll look at what I've done, and if it needs to retract a bit, I, I will do that. <laughs> 
So will you then go back to one of the photographs that's done earlier and see what you can do that might match Just up with that? Just simplify it back up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. I, I know that when we were talking with Dick Alden recently, and of course he's a sculptor, not a painter, mm-hmm. he was talking about the idea of negative space and how important that is, obviously, in sculpture. But there is some sense of needing that even with the work that you're doing. Yes, and and I think... That also comes from um, watercolors that I like to do. And with that, um, you have to always save the light areas. Um, and you do do negative space painting a lot. And, and I think that technique, uh, I tend to try to use also in my oil paintings. If the trees over in the upper, um, I'm trying to think from my view, it'd be the upper left-hand corner, but the light areas um, that are there, I ended up having the light there, but then I went in with another darker value so that those would pop. So in the sense, I'm painting the negative around the positive to make that come forward. That's very interesting. I mean, I can't help but, not that this is in any way related to art, but I the Qigong instructor that I worked with, who's a Chinese medicine uh, physician, he used to talk about the importance of space when placing needles on the body. So Mm -hmm. this idea that um, it's not just what is, but it's also what isn't. And and that how what isn't can help define what is. Yes, yes. And that's very much what you're talking about, because as I'm looking at these trees, I can absolutely see what you've you've done and how you've done it, but I wouldn't have known to look before you pointed it out. Yeah. (laughs) I love this idea that uh, your parents encouraged you from an early age. And in fact, actually, uh, they bought you the learn how to be an artist by, what was it, drawing a pirate um, (laughs) that came out of an ad at the back of a magazine? Yes, that was very, very popular. If you ever flipped through any of the magazines back in the 70s, and there would be this pirate, and can you draw that? And and I would draw that, and then everyone would look and say, oh, my word, you're so talented. And um, the high school that I attended didn't have an art program, so my parents were wonderful giving me private art lessons, which was great. But with the pirate a story, they decided that they would go ahead and let's send in the pirate photo and uh, drawing and see where it goes. And we got a call from the correspondence people, and they came to the house and interviewed me and looked at what I could draw. And so my parents ended up, uh, you know, subscribing to the whole correspondence program. But it was, it failed terribly. I was in high school. I was dating my husband at the end of my um, high school years. And I was, you know, busy with my friends. And my dad would say, you've got that to do, remember you've got that to do. But it was so impersonal because you would you would draw something and and then you'd send it in the mail and then you'd wait a while and it would come back and they would, you know, mark it up what you could do better. But it was um, so impersonal and I needed to have that person like I did with the private art lessons that was right there that could comment when needed. And um, so that whole process just failed miserably. (laughs) 
Well, this is, it's interesting to even be thinking about this because anybody who's watching who is beyond a certain age, you will have no idea what we're actually referring to. But this is something that they would put an ad in the back of a magazine and you'd flip through and, and it was an ad for this correspondence course. But I actually had never met anybody who actually <laughs> was signed up for this. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and my dad was so nice. I mean, he didn't, uh, you know, he wasn't angry that I didn't finish it. But I think he was disappointed that I didn't finish it. And then I felt disappointed that in these later years, well, I could have done that. But it just was not a good fit. <laughs> well, thank goodness you came back around. Yeah. And, and you showed your appreciation for his early support of your art by becoming an artist in your own way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and prior to that, you also taught art. I did. Um, growing up, I had a great aunt, Bert, who taught in the... Massachusetts school systems, and um, I would go to her house and uh, see her paintings, and, and she was always so encouraging of me to keep doing my art. And um, graduating from high school in the 70s, choices for women weren't as uh, prevalent as they are now. Now, my, like my daughters had so many choices of careers, but it was pretty limited there. You know, there was teaching, nursing, or secretary almost. And so um, teaching seemed good for me. And knowing that my Aunt Bert was successful with it, I thought, why not? Um, and so I went to um, the University of Maine, and it was called at Portland Gorham. It had been a state uh, teaching college um, prior to the university um, taking it over. And uh, they only accepted 30 students um, to the art program that year that I first went and, um, and then had a wonderful time and uh, took a lot of classes and um, graduated. And uh, then art jobs did not come readily, uh, openings, and I ended up working at a clothing store, I worked at a bank, and then um, eventually um, my mom got a call from a good friend of hers who worked in the school system that I was hired in and said, there's an opening, come and apply. And so I did, and I was there for 31 years. <laughs> you describe this as the, the era of the art in a cart. Yes. Yeah, that's where my waitressing days in college came in handy because um, my first five years there, I taught elementary and it was art on a cart and you had a time limit. You had to have all your art supplies prepared. You went into the classroom, you passed them all out, you talked about what you wanted them to do. They had a wonderful time doing it. And then you had to be out of that room at a certain time and into another room. And so you had a time limit as to delivering. I was like waiting on a table. It felt like I was delivering what I needed to and cleaning it up and leaving and going somewhere else. <laughs> Well, I, I actually think that I had art on a cart when I was mm -hmm. uh, when I was growing up, so I can very much relate to this. Um, and then eventually, it went to there would actually there were enormous art rooms that were that were built, and there was pottery. And by the time my kids graduated, photography and all different manner of yes. art instruction. Uh, but you're right; it it absolutely was not a focus um, not so very long ago. Right, right. Um, and again, I think it was all with the budget and what they could afford and art, music, 
and phys ed always seemed to be the extras. And um, so it, it, it did, my career did expand and I ended up um, teaching high school art and photography. And I started out with a little dark room that I think had been used for tire storage. And um, I ended up getting uh, ventilation that you needed and uh, the class grew. I can remember I, I started out um, with a, you know, a good sized group of people that wanted to take it, students. And then the next thing you know, I had 90 students one year that had signed up for my class and they just loved going in that dark room. And, and just, you know, it was, it was so rewarding and, and teaching art was great. And at the end of my career, I ended up um, getting my credentials for AP art, which uh, was wonderful to see students that were just pushing themselves to do the best that they could and to get a high score. And it was so rewarding when they did. <laughs> it really seemed to evolve over the years um, to the point where it, where students are now, if they apply to go into an art program, they actually need a formal portfolio, and yes. it's often done in a in a digital manner. And I mean, that's such an interesting concept compared to what you're describing starting out, you know, yes. 31 years before. Yes, where, you, know, you come in, do a little project, and then you're on your way. <laughs> yeah. What? Why do you think that? we as a culture have kind of evolved towards the importance of art education um, more generally? Oh, I, I just think that they understand um, more about how our brains develop and that you need the music, you need the art, you need all those other parts of thinking in order to develop with a much more rounded view and and to be able to do much more with your you know with whatever you're going to do with your career as you get older so was it difficult to make the transition from being a full-time teacher to being a full-time artist not so bad because during my whole years of teaching in the summer months i would um go and uh do outdoor shows. I started um, with watercolor when my children were young because I could take and um, get out the mess and it, and I didn't have to worry about any of the toxic materials that might be with uh, painting in oil now. And, and so I had a good friend who she and I both enjoyed painting and we said, why not? Let's, let's try the outdoor shows. And they, the ones that we entered were juried and we got accepted in and um, my husband built me a wonderful uh, setup you know because you had to it was and also the practice of getting your work finished and completed and then getting it set up at whatever show you're going to and uh, I can remember going up to Bar Harbor though um, one beautiful day and set up my arbus and not being prepared for weather uh, the wind and the rain came up at the late part of the afternoon and it was so strong that some of the uh, booze around us, like the pottery booze, the you know pieces were going over and things were breaking and I had to quickly grab all my things off the screen and lean them up against what I had and we made it through the day. But I ended up eventually getting better setups for that kind of event. But outdoor shows are hard <laughs> and a lot of work. So uh, I moved to um, trying artist co-ops and participated in those. And that was a great business experience uh, because you had you basically rented your space. 
You had to prepare your work. You had to price it. You had to um, have a price point of um, small items to bigger items. And um, you had to work your days. And so you, you got a whole idea of what it was to, if you ever had your own business or building or, a, you know, set up, you'd have to, what you had to do. So um, I did that for a while. And then eventually I thought, okay, well, let's try some galleries. <laughs> and um, I was very happy to be in some locally. And, um, and then at the very end of my teaching career, uh, I think uh, it was then called Art Collector Maine, and they came to speak at um, uh, Damariscata at the River Arts um, Organization, and they were promoting, you know, getting involved. And I said to a coworker, I, I think I'm going to see what happens with that. And so I submitted my images, and again, it was juried and accepted, and um, off I went. So when I retired from teaching, uh, that's where I next stepped. You mentioned that one of the things you've enjoyed about art, well, now it's called the Portland Art Gallery, um, is the creative approach that they've taken to getting artists' work out there, and particularly the the virtual openings that they've done during COVID. Oh, it, it's wonderful um, because at, you know it's almost like remembering a storm's coming, and you could hear how COVID was, you know, going to be a threat, and you're thinking, okay, how's this going to impact everything? And I can remember, you know, hearing it on the news and seeing it, seeing it coming, 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 until here it is. And then, of course, everything closed down. And I'm thinking, oh, I wonder what's going to happen now. And I was so, so impressed with um, the Portland Art Gallery and their uh, openings that they did virtually and, or, and how you could still walk around the gallery if you wanted to using the Matterport that they have. And... Um, so a lot of my uh, friends, I, you know, I said, well, that's what where I'm exhibiting my work. Oh, I'd like to go see, but COVID, and I would say, well, you can. <laughs> All you have to do is go to their site and and check it out, and that was that was great. And and then you know, it gave um, some of my friends a chance to see what I was doing, and um, I think. With that whole process, it I it kept the gallery going and kept. I believe the sales were just great through everything. So I'm very happy. <laughs> well, I think you've touched on something a few different times, which I'm not sure everybody really thinks about when it comes to art. I mean, we think about art and creativity and um, kind of the process of art, but art truly is. I mean, art done well is really it. It is also a job. It's something that you need to, it's work you need to promote. It's work that you need to sell. Yes, I, I think it's um, sometimes romantic to think I'm going to paint and I'm going to have my work at a gallery and I'm going to just be an artist. But there's a lot that goes under that cap. Um, you, uh, with, again, you may finish the, the painting, but then you have to think about um how you're going to keep track of it, how you're going to uh, present it, how you're going to price it, um, who it's going to be uh, maybe more, who's going to be more interested in it than someone else and why. And, um, and, and then as an artist, do you paint only um, what you want to paint? Do you paint what you think others want you to paint? And so those are a lot of things that go back and forth in your head. 
Yeah. Well, explore that that last uh, bit bit with me. And how do you balance out the painting what you want to paint versus painting what you think other people want you to paint? Yeah, I try to be careful with that because um, there's so many times I start a painting and my husband will come up and go, that's a great painting. And then he'll come back a couple hours later and I've totally painted over it. It's like, where'd it go? (laughs) And I've discovered that what I was trying to paint or what it was that the, what the image was, it wasn't uh, what I felt was something I wanted um, or felt was important for other people to see. And it's like when I go out to plain air paint, I enjoy, um, I, I feel like I try to gather in what energy is there, the day, the feeling, the mood, and and then paint that. And if my painting at home, as I'm going, and you know, I'll bring in my studies from what I'm plain air painting with, and if I'm painting that bigger painting and it's not giving that feeling or whatever the energy is that I want people to have, I, 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 that, that's it. <laughs> I cover it up. <laughs> in the, in the um, work that you gave us so that I could learn more about you before you and I sat down to talk, you described one of these situations where you were doing some plain air work and your painting fell on the ground oh. and into some leaves and... Uh, I guess you must have felt like it had the right energy because you brought it back to the studio, you picked the leaves off it, and you yeah. reworked it. Yes. Yeah, I was out on Vinyl Haven, and um, we had uh, boated over there with my brother and sister-in-law, and we were staying there, and we had a few days, and I had my paints with me, and off I went to uh, paint for the afternoon, and uh, yeah, I was real happy with the day and what I had gotten for an image, and so gathering up my stuff and you know, you have to walk over a bunch of rocks and uneven ground. And the next thing you know, I lost my balance. Over I went, and the painting went face down <laughs> and just got covered with all these leaves and twigs and anything else. And so I knew not to do much with it until it dried. So uh, once it did, I was able to pick off <laughs> everything, and then I could bring back what I had. <laughs> did somebody end up buying that? That one, I, I can't remember where that image has ever gone. It, I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, I'd be interested to know because obviously you felt like it was successful enough that you took the time to actually put it out there in the world. And I'd love to know who has that now <laughs> on their wall with potentially little bits of twigs and, and sticks, <laughs> like a literal piece of the, yeah. the main coast. Yes, I'm not sure where it ended up. <laughs> hmm. So those of you who have some Holly Smith pieces, you might want to look a little closely and <laughs> see if there's something in there that's uh, surprising for you. <laughs> so when you're thinking about who might like um, the work that you're doing, so for example, this piece behind me, because it sounds like you think about what's the, kind of the energy, what you like to put into it, what other people might to like to get out of it. So this piece that we were talking about earlier what comes up for you? What do you think people would like about this piece? Or Well, I think there are so many people that travel to our coastlines and um, just can sit on those rocks and just stare out at that ocean for hours and just soak in the sun and the, the salt air. And, and so what I hope that there's going to be someone that has been there and maybe or has had that feeling of being on a beach in Maine and walked it, picked up the seashells and found the beach glass. And they want to bring home 
just a little bit of what they experienced. Well, my understanding is that uh, your work has done very well at the Portland Art Gallery. So I'm I'm guessing that <laughs> the um, kind of the the essence of what you're describing you've put out into the world probably is actually occurring. Well, I'm very very pleased with how my sales are going, and um, yes, and I think though that is as important to me as knowing that someone. Well, I have someone, you know, people that will come up and go, oh, I could just be in your painting. I just love your art. And I think that's more what I'm, I'm thrilled with, that someone someone really wanted to look at that and have it on their wall and, and just be with it. So that's important. <laughs> well, I, looking at this painting, I can say for sure, even though I don't think I've been to this particular spot, that I have a sense of of place and and being part of that place. So from <laughs> from my standpoint, I think it's been very successful. Oh, great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I've enjoyed our conversation today, and I know that people who are interested in learning more about your work can go to the Portland Art Gallery and also to the Portland Art Gallery website. And I hope that you will indeed, if you've been listening or watching to this episode of Radio Maine, take that opportunity because if you love Maine the way that I love Maine and Holly loves Maine, um, you will really enjoy her work. I'm Dr. Lisa Belisle. You've been watching or listening to Radio Maine. And Holly, I really appreciate the chance to talk with you today. Thank you very much for having me.